Would you take your Bible, please turn to Amos chapter 6. And I'm going to read a verse out of Lamentations. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read one verse there. It's, it is, we are in the 4th of July celebration. I'm still a patriot, even though I think we're in a mess as a country. And I'm going to try to preach toward that this morning. I'll read my verse first, and then we'll read the text. If you'll stand to honor the Word of God, uh, we'll read out of Amos chapter 6. God is interested in nations, and He was particularly interested in the nation of Israel. If there's ever been a country that any resemblance to that nation, it's the nation we live in. And I want to try to touch on that. I'm going to read a verse in, this is my, my, the message I'm preaching this morning, I call it Wake Up Time, Wake Up America. Verse 15 of Lamentations chapter 5 says, The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Now then go to Amos chapter 6. I thought about naming this sermon. The crown is slipping. Our crown is slipping. I was, I was born into the greatest, Tom Brokaw said, the greatest generation. And watched America come from a uh, trauma to a victory in World War II. By the way, that's the last war we won. And come over to a place of being the number one world power in my lifetime. That was a good description for this timing of Amos. Amos is a prophet, but his primary prophecy is to the northern kingdom of Israel and Jeroboam the second is on the throne and he was a great mighty king in the eyes of the world but he had forgotten God and here's what he says I'll, I'll preach these points probably in two, two messages today woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named the chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye to Calneh and see. From thence go ye to Hamath the great. And then go down to Gath of the Philistines, 
Are they better than these kingdoms? Are their borders greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near. That lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. Uh, chant to the sound of vile and of the vile and invent themselves instruments of music like David that that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive in the first with the first that go captive and the banquet of them that have stretched themselves shall be removed. The Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city and unto all and with all that is therein, and it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in the house, that they shall die. I'm going to stop reading right there. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 11, it says, All these things happen to them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition. I'd like to admonish us today with the Word of God as a nation. And I pray that we could hear and heed the Word of God. You know, I don't have to tell you what shape we're in as a country. You already know that. That there's only one answer. The answer is not in Washington. The answer is not in a new president. The answer is not in Congress. The answer is not in our abilities as a nation of war. The answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to try to point us as a nation. I'd like to remind us where we're at and where he is today. So let's pray. Father, please have your way here this morning. And God, I pray you'd help us just to get the picture. How you loved us, provided for us, and have kept us through many grieving days to a day that you'd like to bring us into your glory. Thank you for all you do for us every day. And thank you for this day. I thank you for the red, white, and blue. I thank you for that flag that still flies over the land of the free and the home of the brave. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded of who we really are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I want to read you a couple of God is interested in nations. I want to show you that out of the Bible. Over in uh, Proverbs, chapter 14. 
Verse 34, the Bible says, Righteousness exalts, exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Back to Psalm chapter 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Over to Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh down from heaven... And beholdeth all the sons of uh, men. And from the place of his habitation, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He understands where we are today. And, and then uh, Paul said, he's given us his word. And we have the history of that Old Testament to point us to the God of the day we live. So I want to talk uh, I want to talk a little bit about the parallels but and the similarities between us as a nation and Israel as a nation. I don't have time to go through all the historical events, but I I, I do I've got some books I recommend to you. I've got three books written by Peter Marshall. He was at one time the uh, chaplain of the Congress. The first book is The Light and the Glory. It covers the time from, from Columbus forward. And then there's the book from sea to shining sea starts with the American Revolution, goes all the way across after the Civil War. Then there's the then the third one is the sounding of the trumpet. All three all three of those are written by Peter Marshall. They're a tremendous set of it's a history that is not taught in our schools. It's the history of God in American history, and don't ever think that he was, has not been here and provided for us. You know, uh, I think the reason we're still float 250 or so years later is because God has been in our history from day one. Uh, We've got a great heritage. Let me reread these th first three verses. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria. Samaria was the, the strength of Jeroboam. Remember? He turned his back on God. He had, a, he had uh, organized a, a tribe of priests of his own that were wicked men. And they would soothe his ears, and and they, uh, 
and they were very proud of who they were and they were very secure in their ability. They were the power of the world, one of the powers of the world of their day. And that's who we are, isn't it? He's writing to them this this Amos text is written 50 years before Samaria is taken into captivity and those Jews are scattered and became the, the, the lost tribes of Israel and still are that today. 50 years before, they were saying, we, we can take it easy. We've whipped everybody. We've got every, everything's good. He said, at ease in Zion... And trust in a mountain in Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. He gives them a warning and points them to the nations that that they have been destroyed in their own eyes. We could say it like this. He said, pass ye to Calneh and to Hamath and to Gath of the Philistines. Are they any better? Are they any worse? Are they any stronger? Are you stronger than them? Well, you can look back, can't you? Can you remember when I was a boy, uh, that that, uh, kingdom of of, uh, Egypt, the sun never set on the crown of Egypt. Remember those sayings? We heard that as a and we've watched it crumble in our lifetime. We could talk about Germany two times became the world power in the last century. And two times had to be broken. Or we could talk about, the, you, you all, y'all do remember the Cold War, don't you? Some of us lived in the Cold War. Remember when Ronald Reagan said, tear this wall down. And once the wall was torn down, we found out it was a paper army over there on the other side. And we've been fighting ghosts and goblins for 30 years and threats that were no threat at all. That great nation became, look at them. Look at them today. That, that war... That, that they can't win. And, uh, and we got a pipsqueak for a president that wants to offer threats with our power. It reminds me of a little boy trying to boast of what he can do when he can't. Uh, uh, so... I'm not going I'm not I'm, I made up my mind I wasn't going to try to do politics. I, I don't want to do that. So so if we are a world power today and we are we may we may no longer be the number one world power but we are a world power. We may be a third world country by next year, but right now we're still a world power. Why? Well, 
there's a there's a book in a, in a museum in London, uh, the British Museum. It's the it's the book of Christopher Columbus. His name means Christopher means I carry Christ. Christopher Columbus, the book of prophecy that he wrote. Here's what he says. This was before 1500. You understand what was going on in 1500? It was the it was the war. The Black Ages were 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 the war between Rome and the whole world. It was a war from popes against the Word of God. It was a war that included nations. Uh, Bloody Mary, Queen of Scots, had had uh, martyred men of God because there was a threat of England withdrawing from the authority of the Pope. Her sister, Elizabeth I, took the throne. Well, in the middle of all that, here's here's Columbus. Here's what he says in his book. You can go to London, read his book. It was the Lord who put it in my mind to sail from Spain to the Indies. I could feel his hand upon me. You remember, I remember when I was in school, they said that he sailed looking for a shortcut to India. Or he sailed looking for the seven cities of gold that the Spanish uh, people had talked about that lived, that was over there. Here's what he says. I could feel his hand upon me. All who heard my project rejected it with laughter and ridicule against me. There's no question that my inspiration to sail came from the Holy Ghost of God. Because he comforted me with a ray of illumination from the Holy Scriptures. Here it is right here. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 18. No, 40, let's see, 40 verse 22. In 21 he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth that it is He, God, that sitteth on the circle of the earth? And the inhabitants thereof are grasshoppers, or as grasshoppers that stretch out the heavens as a curtain and spread them out as a tent to dwell in. He said that verse. Now wait a minute. The scientists were saying the earth is flat and if you sail too far you're going to fall off the edge of it. The, the scientists, you know, they're still saying stuff. They're saying stuff like 
My grandpa was an ape. You can swing from a tree if you want to, but I'm not going to believe that stuff. I'm going to believe the Word of God. I've got the Word of God on it. And I'm going to hang with the Word of God. What, what, what Columbus said was, I sailed under the direction of the Holy Ghost of God. That's what he says. He comforted me with a ray of illumination from the Holy Scripture, encouraging me to sail on till I found the country. That's in 1492. In 1508, you ever hear of the Spanish Armada? Anybody ever hear of the Spanish Armada? England, under Elizabeth, had withdrawn herself and was now a Protestant, we'll call it, country. They were no longer under the domination of the Pope. But Spain was. And the king of Spain, Spain hey, if you, if you took world history in high school, you understand that Spain ruled the seas. The great explorers came on Spanish ships around the world in, the, in those early years. They had a they had the they had conquered the seas. England was a little upstart country. And they had a few fishing boats and a captain named Drake. And they took their boats down to meet the Spanish Armada. The Pope had sent the message and the Armada was directed by the King of Spain to come and put down this upstart nation and bring them back under the dominion of the Pope. But God had his hand in the, in the battle. And those few boats, of the, when they got there, there was such a storm raging that those big, big cannonized boats of, the, of Spain couldn't fight the waves. And those little old boats that... Uh, England could run circles around them and, and, they, and they beat the Spanish Armada. You said, so what? That was in 1508. The pilgrims are not going to get here till 1600 or so. Here's so what. If you go to Mexico... Central America or South America, you'll see what the results of Spanish domination. You'll see that. You'll see that. I, I remember going down to the to the cathedral with one of the missionary kids, and we walked out into the cemetery, and and there was a there was a grave with six bodies on each side stacked in shells. And what happens? They put your body in there, but if you don't keep paying the dues, they'll pull the body out, and you've lost your burial place. 
in the courtyard of the cathedral. It's, a, it's all about money and it's all about power. I'm thankful to be born in America, aren't you? I'm glad I came into a place where I can come in to here this morning and preach the Word of God as it is the Word of God without fear of being remanded by the government. First trip I took to Mexico, we were building a building three missions in, around Monterey. One of them was out the, I don't know, you can't imagine it if you hadn't been there, I know that. On the side of a mountain, there was a hundred people out there at Horsetail Falls, just south of, of uh, Monterey, who had by hand leveled a spot on that mountain. They were meeting there as their, that was their church. It was wide open. They dug, one side of the mountain was eight foot deep. The other side of the mountain, they had to pile rocks on it to level it up. They did it all by hand. The Catholic Church got wind that we were building missions. And they told the rancher who owned that place, if you let them build, we'll take your land. And they could do it in that day. I remember that little Mexican boy. He was about 20 years old. He had a little baby and a wife and one acre of land. He planted everything on that acre in corn and that's how he made his living. And he stood out there and wept and told the preacher, you can have my land. You can build a church on my land. I want God to have a church in this community. They had a hundred people meeting under shade trees. Twenty years later, I got to go back and teach the preachers in a place. Guess where it was? It was on his acre. Guess who the pastor was? He was the pastor. And I taught the, the preachers there all day in one of the nicest Mexican homes that I've ever been in. He had to... It, it, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're not under that kind of domination. I'm glad to be an American. It shouldn't surprise you that everybody in Central America, South America, Mexico wants to come across that border. We've got it good over here. You know why? Because God put his hand on America. They, the Spanish Armada was completely defeated and England became the, the number one sea power of the world in 1508. Get that. A hundred years later, there's a bunch of Puritans who have moved over to Holland. They, they call them separatists because they separated themselves from the from the government church. And, and I'm not going to tell you the Mayflower story. Susie and I, we got to Massachusetts 
oh, around midnight, I guess, one night at, at the airport. And the fellow who, the fellow who met us lived out on Cape Cod. We had to drive past Plymouth to get to his place. And so at two o'clock in the morning, we went down and looked on that, that stone called the Plymouth Rock. It's just a broken rock out there in the middle of nowhere. And it doesn't, I, I don't know how they found it. In Texas, we got bigger rocks than that. But in 1620, they established that, that, Plymouth, that Plymouth colony. And, we, and they, wrote, they wrote this. I've got this written down. They wrote this as they came. You remember the story of the Mayflower? The other ship, I can't remember the name of the other ship, but the other ship was not, could not handle the ocean. They loaded everybody out of two ships on one ship, and half of them died before they got off the ship. And then another half died in the first winter they were at Plymouth. They wound up with 48 living souls at Plymouth. And here's what they wrote. In the Mayfair Compact, they wrote this before they got off the boat. That this colony is undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you read, if you read the history of that Plymouth colony, and the Mayflower and the Plymouth colony, we've seen the replica of the Mayflower. It wouldn't make a good, it, it wouldn't hardly float out here on uh, Eagle Mountain Lake. How did it get across the, the whole ocean with something like 200 people on it? No wonder they died. It was a, it was a terrible undertaking. But they undertook it for the, for the glory of God. And the colony was established. We might disagree with politics and we might disagree with some theologies, but, they, but understand their faith. I can understand why these folks are coming from south up here wanting over in our country. If you've ever been in one of their countries, you'll understand why they're coming. We've got it pretty good over here. God has blessed us in America. I do not understand why anybody would leave England and come over there to an icy, frozen place up there in Massachusetts. Massachusetts bad enough in the wintertime right now with, with all we got to put on around us. But they had nothing. They came for the Lord. That was their whole motivation. That colony was built for that. So that brings you down to the uh, 
Continental Convention that met in Philadelphia. We got to look up. So as you remember looking up our, we we didn't get to go into the place, but we got to look up to to the, to where that convention took place. We stood. We walked around the outside of it. Freedom Hall. And it was, it was a meeting that went like this. There was Virginia and there was Massachusetts and everybody else was stepchildren. And nobody wanted to come under the domination of either one of them. So they said we'll have separate states. We'll have our little toll booth. And we'll have our, each one of us have our own money. We're not going to pool our money with you. And when you come through that toll booth, we'll change your money to our money. You can come through our state. About that time, a fellow named Ben Franklin stood up. And he said, we've made a great mistake. We're going about this in a wrong way. He said, if, if a sparrow cannot fall without the God of heaven taking note of it, how can a nation rise without the help of God? He said, I believe we need to go to prayer. They went to prayer. When they came out of prayer, they were a united nation of America. They had thrown away the 13 colonies and now they were one nation under God. And they began to figure on a the uh, Declaration of Independence. One of the great moments in my life, I stood at the National, what do you call it? Archives. National Archives. We stepped into that room. There's a paragraph at the bottom of that Declaration of Independence. It says, We pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. I read the, I've got a record of that. We don't get the whole picture. Those men came from all over the, those 13 colonies. Hey, King George is still on the throne. The Boston Tea Party hasn't hardly got settled yet. There's, they're still under domination. They're, they're facing the greatest naval country in the world. And they're, gonna, they're write, trying to write the Declaration of Independence from that country. A Baptist preacher named Witherspoon preached a four-hour message. He said... It was raining that day and the water ran down the windows and the tears ran down their cheeks. He said, when I got through with my message, some of them bowed over their chairs and prayed to the, in the chairs. Some of them went to the windows and looked out and wept. And then one by one, 56 men came 
and signed away their life, their fortune, and their sacred honor. John Hancock said, put her down big, in case King George can't see good, he'll see my name. Before it's over, he'd have to give his home in Boston. He, he wound up with nothing when the, the, the richest, one of the richest men in America wound up with nothing when, the, when that Revolutionary War was over. Most of those men lost family members or their lives or their prosperity and gave us what we call the United States of America. They paid for it the hard way. We couldn't have won that battle if we'd... That guy from South Carolina said, I sure would like to see George Washington. And somebody has said, oh, you'll know him when you see him, said he's tall and he kneels when they pray. When they pray, he'll kneel. And he kneeled. I've got a picture I was going to bring out here and put up here on the table. I forgot. I've got a picture back there in my office. I don't know who it belongs to. I guess it belongs to this church, but it's a picture of George Washington kneeling at Valley Forge. One of those soldiers wrote a letter home. Said, I know that we're going to win this war. Well, it was absolutely hopeless. When he's kneeling in, his, in the ice out there at Valley Forge, praying, it's hopeless. They've already lost. The, the, the English thought they had won the war. But he prayed. He said, he said I know we're going to win the war. Is why I said, how do you know? She said, he said, I saw General Washington kneeling in the ice praying. He said, God won't let that kind of faith go down. God's in our history. It's God. We are, we are what we are. We have what we have. We can do what we do because God has had his hand on us. Those Jews would have to say God had his hand on us. They couldn't have took that. They couldn't have crossed Jericho. Jer they couldn't have took Jericho without God. They couldn't, have, they couldn't have took that land without God. They couldn't have established themselves as a, as a nation without God. God's in our history. Amen. You young people, I can point you to some records. That's, that's about the best I can do, but there's some places, and it's continued. I mean, you come down to the Civil War, there was generals who called the preachers into the camps, and revival broke out in the middle of the biggest death day in America. Revival broke out in America on both sides. God got in the middle of it. When that war was over, they carried the gospel across this country. Probably this church is a product of some somehow of some Civil War soldier who was displaced, came out of, I, my great-grandmother lived here. Uh, they came from, from Tennessee. They came here because of that war. 
It drove them out. They came in. They, uh, my granddad, I, I still remember my granddad, he was a great horseman. He traded horses and trained horses and, and uh, he, could, he could make those horses do things that nobody else could do with them. And, and, but you know, he wore them old blue bib overalls every day. Sometimes he'd have a book set in the blue bib overalls. Can you see those preachers? I had a great granddad who was a circuit rider in Oklahoma, but he had to make a living, so he farmed. Planted churches. And I could tell you some stories about that, but he carried the gospel to the Indian nation before it was a state. That happened, that was, he was a, he was a Yankee soldier, came out of Springfield, Missouri. He was, his home was in Iowa, down to, my grandma told me about riding the ox, pulling a covered wagon down into Oklahoma. He didn't come to make a fortune, he came to preach the gospel. That, ha- that was, you multiply that by hundreds. Understand this. We have one-fourth the churches today that we had a hundred years ago in this nation. There are, there are thousands of churches across America that will not have one soul saved this year. But those churches were planted by men of faith. We were led by men of faith. I don't, I don't know if I could call them all or not. General Douglas MacArthur. He was the hero of World War I. He was the top soldier of World War I. He read the Bible every day. He hesitated on marriage until he could find a Christian wife. When he left the Philippines in defeat in World War II, he said, with the help of God, I shall return. I had an uncle that was in the Marines, Brother Bob. He was in the 4th Marine Division. He said that we used to say with the help of God and a few Marines, MacArthur returned to the Philippines. He was a great Christian. I've got a list of some of them. Woodrow Wilson got saved on his deathbed. He had grieved about God all of his life. His his, his, uh, people were politicians and and he, he, he got saved on his deathbed. Harry Truman carried a Bible to his office the first day he went into office as president. He, he read his Bible every day. I know. And then there was Eisenhower. I had a good friend who preached and prayed in England at the time of D-Day. And D-Day, in England, there was 300 ships, all fishing boats on up, that went across that channel that one D-Day. 
and, and, and his job was to go from ship to ship to ship to preach 10 minutes and pray in each ship. And Brother Oford told me by the time that D-Day was over, he was, his nerves were shot. He had to get somewhere and get along with God and get recuperated. Eisenhower was in on that prayer meeting. They, as they crossed that channel, he was there to pray with them. Abraham Lincoln, there's been many of them. I, I don't... Susie and I went to Harding, right? The, Susie and I went... To, I believe it's Warren Harding. It's up in Vermont. He was somebody's vice president. I can't remember who. Maybe... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it might have been Woodrow Wilson's vice president. His daddy was just the police. And they got him out of bed up there in Vermont, down there on the farm. And his daddy got the Bible out. And he, he took the oath of office on that Bible right, given by his dad, who was the justice of peace, there in the town and the deacon down at the church. And then he went back to bed and went to sleep. But that great, I'm talking about a Christian heritage. He moved into the White House carrying that heritage. We've had that. We've had it over and over. We need to get it back. I ain't even got to my message. My time's up. My roast is burning already. I'll just show you this. Here in this passage, we'll get to this tonight. It's a time of national pride. We're a proud bunch, aren't we? time of national prosperity we have known that in our lifetime I, my, you know I came from people that went barefooted some of them couldn't read and write they were cotton farmers and, and uh, milk cows and chickens and what have you that's how they made their living that's, I remember those days I remember when you I remember the I remember the stamp. You can't milk chickens. I know that. Uh, I remember when you had to have the stamps to get your groceries. I remember my dad trying to rebuild a tire because you couldn't buy a tire. Uh, we don't know much about that in our days because we've been prospered. And we're full of pleasures. And we're pretty passive about God. You know, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're halfway tried, will it? it uh, you know, people woke up this morning. Baptists woke up all over this country this morning. 
this Sunday morning, I think I'm going to mow the yard today. I'm just going to, or I'm going to go visit the kinfolks today, or I, I've, I've got other things to do besides God today, don't you see? This is God's day. We either honor Him in the day or we don't honor Him in the day. He said, he said you're at ease in Zion. Zion's the house of God. He said, you're at ease while God, you're expecting God to prosper you, but you're at ease. But there's a great promise to every one of us. He didn't say if the drunkards, if the gamblers, if the homosexual, if the perverts, if that, if the dope addicts, he said, but if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. That's pretty hard to do. It's hard for us who have, it wouldn't be hard if you were over there in the Ukraine this morning, it wouldn't be hard to get humble. If they were shooting those rockets at you, you could get humble. But over here where we live, it's hard to be humble. Well, we got, we're, not, we're not begging for bread for today. We've got bread for six weeks or three months or something. We've got it stored up. We're prosperous. We can drive, we can drive our cars and, and have a two-car family or a three-car family and a boat and a no telling what else to go with it. We're, we're prospered. But don't mess with me, preacher. Don't give me that word of God. Don't, don't try to condemn my sins. Because I'm mighty proud. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, you cannot pray till you humble yourself. And pray. And you won't do this until you have prayed and seek my face. And if you get there, it's no problem to turn from my wicked ways. He said if we do those four things, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sins. And get this, and I will heal your land. That is the promise of God. Not to that world out there. Not to the perverts and the... And the but to us who call Him our Savior. Us who are born again. Us who are... who who are church people, don't you know? Us. That's the promise to us. We can come back to a place of security and help and hope in this dark day we live in. And I don't care what they say, they, can, they can't stop you. You can pray. You can pray when there's nothing else. The question is, will you humble yourself to pray?
It's easier for us to say God bless America. What we ought to say is, Lord, help us to be a blessing to America. Help us to get in a condition that we could carry the blessing of God to America. Let's stand, heads are bowed. Sorry I didn't get any further. I knew I wasn't going to get through. I'd already made provisions to go halfway, and I didn't get a third of the way, so it's all right. The question is this. How do you stand at your place? I'm glad to be an American, but I'm more glad to be a child of God. I'm, I'm, glad, for the, I'm glad for the presidents and the generals and, and some of the things I've seen, but I'm, I'm far more glad that Jesus died for my sins. And I just want to say thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be your child, your, your servant. And allowing me to have fellowship with you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, I don't know where, I don't know where all this landed. I don't know what, what got said and what got heard. But Lord, I just ask you that you'd take it to our hearts. You said it was all for our, our learning. And Lord, that we might turn ourselves to you. Please have your way with us. Please direct all we do to your honor, to your glory. Let the name of Jesus be lifted up where we are. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be born in America to live in America, to be blessed in America. But, oh God, I pray you'd help us to get our eyes on the other country and look over the river to that land and see what waits us. That day when we give an account for every deed, every word, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be the kind of servant that you could bless. That, you, that we'd look to you and know the prosperity and blessing of just being your children. Lord, I pray for that one that's here and unsaved. I pray, God, you'd help them to see the need of Jesus in their heart. Please have your way with us. In his name I pray. Amen. While we're singing, you come. These altars are open. Good place to get alone with Him. And, and there may be somebody here that really needs Him this morning. Why don't you come?
good to have Arlene back in action this morning and pray for Crenny. She's still in the hospital. She's doing better, but she's still there. And Okay. And then uh, Christina Smith, Brother Ed Smith's wife, had back surgery Friday, and he thought he'd be here, but she wouldn't. So pray for them. I imagine he's nursing her today. Uh, been a blessing to be here with you. Let's go. We'll be back here at 6 o'clock tonight. And I, I might get a little further on this thing. I doubt if I get it finished, but uh, it's, there's no end to it. There's no quitting place. We ought to pray for our country this morning. God could do something with this country. He told, uh, he told those Israelites, all these other things you do, but the biggest thing is this, you've rejected me. You ought to investigate your heart. Am I still looking to Jesus for my every day? If not, Get back over quick as you can. Right. Brother Dan, would you lead us in a word of prayer and then, brother? Praising my Savior. 